0: All right, everybody. Welcome to the March sixteenth edition of Cascadian Views. We've got everybody here: Dan, Chris, JJ. How are you guys all doing? Doing alright, Are you? I am certainly doing better than Paul Manafort, who had uh, really a one-two whammy this week. He got more jail time, uh, and then was within minutes of that announcement indicted by the state of New York. (coughs) That's that's pardon protection, basically, right?
1: I think that's the idea behind it, yeah. Uh, I've seen a couple of uh, competing takes on the indictment itself. Uh, the main one that's most worrisome to me is it might be a little weaker than we initially think. But uh, yeah, that's the idea, is that it's a charge that Trump cannot offer a pardon from. So, Explain to me really how you think no- it's weaker. I, mostly because there's some serious double jeopardy issues. A lot of the crimes and transactions that appear to be referred to in the state indictment also happen to be the things he was charged for in the federal courts.
0: I thought that was Uh, permissible. As dual sovereigns, you could face state and federal action for the same crime, and that wasn't double jeopardy.
1: No, I think that, I think that's exactly not correct. I think, I think you can, I don't think you can be, I don't think you can be charged by both sovereigns for the same for those same crimes. Uh, I think it would have to be alleging a different violation and a different action. So, I, especially since he's been convicted, it's not. Yeah, uh, I think it might. It, there's a very good chance that I think that these aren't going to go anywhere. But I think it's Vance getting, you know, Manhattan DA Cyrus Vance, uh, getting in on it and trying to get some. I don't know, you know, some resistance cred. I mean, the guy's uh, had had a few bad PR uh, issues over the last couple of years. He's kind of a crappy DA. But, yeah, it, it's not great. You don't want to be invi- indicted, for sure. But I think it's probably, in the long run, not going to be as harmful to Manafort as we think.
0: Okay. Um. And i am just pulling something off a a random law firm's blog, but apparently the the federal government has less protection for this than state ones mm-hmm. in the federal system, the federal government will bring charges against the defendant who's already been convicted of state crime for the same conduct mm-hmm. I like I said, it's the Goldstein meta law firm in Pennsylvania, okay. so I don't huh. exactly trust them to be the sole source of legal knowledge but I mean you really think like they shouldn't have to search that hard to find something Manafort's guilty of oh sure I mean um, I, I just don't think there's a jurisdiction on earth that couldn't find something Manafort's gotten illegal there
1: yeah I, I think that's absolutely right I mean he's in custody they've got mountains of evidence that's been accumulated by the special counsel all I need is to do is look through it, and I'm sure they'll find something that yeah, is worth taking them to court over. But from such an otherwise stand-up guy. Yeah, I know. Otherwise blameless. There we go. Yeah, otherwise blameless. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, it, it's practically a Boy Scout when you really think about it. Yeah. Uh, the, the best joke I heard to that line... I think it was Seth Meyers, but I can't remember now to be sure. But they were like, yeah, you know, uh, Jeffrey Donner was otherwise blameless as well. <laughs> <laughs> the, Just,
1: uh, with minor exceptions.
0: The other bit of news out of the special counsel's investigation is that they've requested a two-month continuation of Rick Gates before his sentencing. Uh, he's yeah. apparently still cooperating with active investigations. That doesn't necessarily say... It's the special counsel's investigation, I suppose. It could be one of the myriad yeah. of law enforcement investigations.
1: Yeah, but it's been a yeah, special counsel that he's primarily been cooperating with so far. Mueller's really, you know, he keeps wrapping up next week for the last uh, couple of months and probably
2: several months to come. <laughs> well, uh, if you listen to some people on the, uh, on the president's team, he's been wrapping up before the end of the year for like two years <laughs>
0: <laughs> there are some rather concrete signs though coming into play here his top prosecutor is, is leaving right yeah um, yeah is, is stepping down i think it's coming soon i i i don't know how soon it could still be you know a month or two away but i it really does seem like everything's in a, a, a finishing up
2: um, yeah, I think that's true, but I think it's yeah. uh, it's not, like a few weeks ago, there was some credible enough seeming buzz that, like, really, a report is going to drop next week, and I no longer think that's true.
0: Let's talk about that report, then, because there was a symbolic vote uh, that was passed, I believe, 420 to nothing, which is just, you know, a fantastic number, uh, that was... A, a request non-binding by the House that the Mueller report be made public. Um, every Republican that voted either for or against the bill voted for it. A few of them voted present to weasel out. The president railed against the Mueller report saying that there shouldn't even be one before telling everybody that he told the Republicans to vote for it to me. I see. Yeah.
1: I, I <laughs> don't really I follow meant that. meant to do that. Yeah. I guess... He's got to salvage his ego at any cost. Yeah. They they voted for it because I told him to. It's fine.
0: Well, let's talk about his ego then, because that brings up the other bit of congressional news. Um, the Senate voted to uh, overturn the president's declaration of a national emergency. At the end of the day, 12 Republican senators, including Mittens, across uh, the aisle. The, the big story, though, was that uh, Trump is vetoing it which I guess we kind of expected. Yeah, yeah. It does somewhat embarrass him in terms of standing up to a court challenge though, when both bodies of Congress have rather firmly imprinted their idea that there is no emergency.
1: Yeah, and on a bipartisan basis.
0: Yeah. Um, I I guess election fears really counted for some people on this. Most of the 2020 Republicans with... I think the notable exception of uh, susan collins of in maine voted for or voted against this bill uh, mm-hmm. that included tom tillis who wrote an op-ed in the washington post not three weeks ago announcing how he could not stomach uh voting against this bill so
1: <laughs> real change of heart there um, hanging around
0: their necks in the general they seem to think that this is going to hurt them more that or uh, i guess voting for this would hurt them more with the republican base i mean yeah. that's that's just tacit acknowledgement that this is trump's party at this point
1: yeah nobody wants to be the next jeff flake
0: yeah uh I don't know. Mittens voted against it, and he's doing a pretty good Jeff Flake impersonation, including, oh, you know, sure, not really doing anything of consequence, just complaining
2: about <laughs> it.
0: <laughs> he's doing That's a great true. Jeff Flake
2: impression. Yeah, <laughs> I think Susan Collins, too, was doing an electoral calculation, only in her case, the calculation cuts the other way. Yeah, yeah. She, the Republican
0: Party in, in Maine is not necessarily as extreme as elsewhere, plus Trumpian, although... You look at their recently Paul departed Barry. governor. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, given that they're very French, yeah, it might be difficult to convince them of the uh, impending incursion from Mexico. <laughs> also, they're very, very far away from that border. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and really, when they think open borders, they just think getting to go get tax free maple syrup from the other side of the line. In Vermont because right. they'll totally tax mainers they know better <laughs> I, I was thinking quebec maple syrup maybe nova scotia maple syrup or vermont gets enough credit as it is yeah that's uh,
2: all we got guys that's all we got <laughs>
0: <laughs> we uh we are going to have two bits of international news uh so let's Get to the last couple things we have on the national section before we move on to that um chris you called out a story that i posted about in the group um i'll, I'll kind of let you talk about your feelings on it but just as a, a factual basis the president gave an interview to breitbart where at one point he was commenting on how tough the left is compared to republicans but then uh started talking about all the people he has in his side who might start getting more tough if they get pushed too far. And he counted things like soldiers, police, and the Bikers for Trump Motorcycle Group.
1: Uh. <laughs>
0: yes. Why don't you tell us a bit about this?
2: Well, so the kind of mental, uh, mental journey I went on with it was when I first saw it, I had a momentary, like, Oh, well, that's not good. And then that was quickly followed by, yeah, but it's really not that different from anything else he's saying. And then later in the day, I found myself thinking, no, no, stop. The, the president of the United States just said, I think the security forces and brown shirts mm-hmm. will enact violence on my opponents at the right time and kind of publicly signaled to them that he wants them to do so. And the fact that my reaction to that and the kind of mass public reaction to that was man eh, he says that kind of stuff all the time really makes me wonder like where on the uh, proto fascist slide we are so i have
0: an alternate theory for this um and it's one i haven't seen talked about and it's possibly even scarier than that uh okay. it has to do with the motorcycle <laughs> clubs uh specifically and why he would bring those up in addition to the police and the the military that is something Putin does. Putin has a network of, of nationalist motorcycle g- uh, gangs, not only in Russia, but in, in other Eastern European Slavic countries that he calls upon, not just in like the capacity that they support his agenda and do bad things to support it and whatnot, but that he uses as paramilitary groups it, with actual like issuing them orders and having them accomplish objectives and, and things like that. I'm starting to to wonder if, you know, he got that idea from somebody whispering in his ear. It's just such an odd out-of-left-field thing to include the motorcycle group until you realize that that's one of Putin's, like, favorite tools that he had. Well, that would definitely put us way further down the path that Chris is explaining. That's, yeah, that's sketchy, you know, particularly with... The campaign's ties with, you know, um, Prince, the you know former head of Blackwater, you know, that's
2: mm-hmm.
0: that's that's some nice privatization to your biker gang uh, Gestapo.
1: Yeah, I mean, even mm-hmm. e- even if it's just something that kind of popped into his head because he, you know, hey, Putin's got one, I'd like to have one too. I mean, at the bottom, he's talking about having a paramilitary ready to. You know, yeah. Like Chris said,
2: it, enact violence against his opponents. That's fucked up. <laughs> it really is a brown shirts. I mean, it's not as organized as the brown yeah. shirts were. They really were like an appendage of the Nazis, but it really is that kind of thing. Like, I have this paramilitary force that'll go out and do what I need them to do when I need them to do it.
0: Yeah. It. Uh, it gets scarier by the day really does i i was worried for what he'd do if he lost in 2016 i'm getting worried for what he's going to do when he loses in 2020 now
2: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. i mean and, and god forbid he wins again then i'll have to start worrying about what he's going to be doing when he's term limited
1: or what he'll do with the rest of his time in office i mean he, granted he's kind of lurched around from one lazy fascist gesture to another but uh, it seems like he's getting at least a little bit better at getting the government to do what he wants. You know, it's going to take a couple of years for anything about the wall to go through and it's going to require him getting reelected, but he's getting off his ass and making some movement towards it, which is something that he hadn't done for the last two years.
0: (laughs) Well, In our continuing effort to hope that he never actually gets there, Dan, why don't you tell me about my favorite thing in the world, the National Popular Vote Compact?
1: Oh yeah, it is moving right along. All right, so the latest update in the National Popular Vote Compact is that it's been adopted by Colorado. It, just to pull back a little bit and talk about what it is, so... We all know that the president is elected not by the votes of the people, but by the Electoral College, which are uh, 538 people selected by the states in Washington, D.C. By their laws, they're generally elected according to the, uh, on a winner-take-all basis as the result of the election in their state, but there's nothing that requires that to be the case. Uh so, a number, of, you know, since in the last 20 years, we've had at least two elections now where the national popular vote winner was not the winner in the Electoral College uh, due to, you know, a few thousand votes going the other way in a couple of key states. And in 2004, that nearly could have been the case, but for a few tens of thousands of votes going a different way in Ohio. Uh, so the National Popular Vote Compact is a number of states that are passing legislation that would, once a sufficient number of states enter into it, which would be states representing enough electoral votes uh, to elect the president, 270, uh, once they, all of them enter into the compact, then at that time, whoever is the winner of the National Popular Vote would receive the electoral votes, would be declared the winner and receive the electoral votes of the states that enter the compact. So it's kind of a way to end run around what we have in the Electoral College right now uh, and make a de facto popular vote election for the presidency. Uh, And right now, they're, I think, at about two-thirds of the way there. I think Colorado makes it Gets it into the 180s, I believe. Let me take a quick look on the progress. Gets it to
0: 181. Uh, There's pending legislation in New Mexico to add them as well.
1: Popular vote compact. Right. So they're getting there. Um, Mostly, they've been having success by getting fairly blue states to enter it. I think almost exclusively blue states to enter the compact to really make it work they're probably going to need to get some non-competitive red states to agree to this and for that matter it would have been would have helped us to get there if john kerry had accidentally won in 2004 but uh, because you know the fact of the matter is so far the electoral college has really done its screw job only one way when it's uh, done it over the last 20 years uh, so yeah, if uh, you could get a state like say Texas or uh, mm, yeah, it's probably the big one that comes to mind, then you'd really make some headway towards getting to that uh, 270 electoral votes. Otherwise, you've got to conv- you know get it across the line in several states that tend to heavily benefit or at least get a lot of attention in our presidential system. You know the so-called swing states. Representation
0: state. in the Midwest would go a long way, I think.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God,
0: is Illinois. Michigan or Wisconsin, or somebody signs on to that.
1: Yeah. It a lot. Or, again, getting some of these non-competitive states that uh, nobody cares about in a presidential election. North Dakota, South Dakota. Uh, Wyoming. Santa, Wyoming, Utah. All of those. Uh, Idaho. You know, all these are states that are foregone conclusions in any presidential election. So you'd think, what would they have to lose? It's not like uh, it's not like anybody's campaigning there or gives a shit about what happens in Idaho
2: or uh, <laughs> North Dakota in terms of presidential politics. <laughs> Unless they has I, I a white stance. My fear is that they won't go for it as long as they think what they probably are thinking that this benefits Democrats. You well, historically, it has that. only
0: benefited Republicans. The Electoral College. The three times we've had a split, it, it all came out in the conservative politician's favor. True.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, we've had two in the last, you know, fifteen years, and then there was one back in like eighteen seventy-eight or something like that.
1: Well, that was actually a bit of a flip. I mean, he was—you know—Tilden was probably the more conservative, at least racially. In that year, I mean, he was the he was the uh, Democrat, but that was that Fair was enough. the days when Democrats were the anti civil rights party. But yeah, it's it's always literally benefited a Republican. Yeah, so I,
0: that's a tough sell.
1: Yeah, I, it is.
0: I think it's easier to go with a purple state than a deep red state that doesn't matter. I mean, especially think of something like Alaska. They're Mm -hmm. gonna take that as them saying as people outside saying that their vote shouldn't count. Like Mm -hmm. I don't think that's gonna go over well. I mean, I I think that same sort of attitude is gonna prevail in South Dakota or Nebraska or whatever.
1: Yeah. Well, and some of that also gets to the uh you know, one of the kind of dumber justifications for the Electoral College is the idea that uh Without it, uh, it uh, the smaller states are harmed or prejudiced. But again, nobody cares about what these small states do in a uh, general presidential election because they all go one way or the other. The only small state that is ever up for grabs is New Hampshire, Hampshire. Yeah. absolutely yeah. the only one. All the rest of them either you know, 100 percent of the time go for Democrats or 100 percent of the time Go For Republicans, at least since we entered this you know blue state, red state system in 2000,
0: and even the states that do some things to make it more competitive Nebraska and Maine both split their mm-hmm. electoral votes, those are kind of taken as a bonus by the campaigns and not something they actually work for. Like, oh, yeah, Obama won well, Omaha, he never targeted Omaha, it just kind of came along,
1: right? And Trump got uh northern Maine, yeah, same thing. But yeah, the, no, none of them put any resources into getting those one electoral votes because they know they're going to win or lose the presidential race in Pennsylvania, in Florida, and so that's where they put their resources.
0: A, a national popular vote actually makes those small states matter. Like if you Exactly. Can, if you can go drop into Anchorage, Alaska, gin up a lot of excitement, and walk out of there with 100,000 votes, that's actually meaningful in a national popular vote election. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go to Jackson Hill, Wyoming for an afternoon and maybe take 20,000 uh, votes out of there. I don't even know if Jackson Hole is that. Big, but <laughs> you could take a, a little chunk of votes out of there as just like a flyover stop. And all of a sudden they have a presidential visit that they've never had before. No, you know, it, it makes people matter more than geography. Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah, we... See all these stupid maps, you know, county by county, how the vote came out. But you know, acres don't vote. It's people. Yeah. Mm.
0: All right. We will uh move on to the international news then. Um I guess we'll start with the big one. There was a absolutely horrific uh shooting in New Zealand. It uh occurred in two mosques. The shooter visited one and then traveled to another one in the suburb of Christchurch. The first one was in the city center. Um, As of press time, there are 51 people dead. That number is expected to rise. It has already risen after the initial incident. Um, It's being described as the first social media shooting. The shooter live streams this on Facebook from a helmet cam. He made posts on 8chan, which is a 4chan-like message board. Uh, It's something that the tech companies have had a real hard time clamping down on. Reddit has banned a number of communities that you probably didn't even existed, like "Our Watch People Die." Um, Facebook has been pulling accounts. Steam has, as of press time, removed 140 tribute accounts to the shooter. Um, they're usually not banning those accounts for good; they're just requiring them to change their name and profile picture. Um, but it's it's really been a thing. Uh, he put forward a manifesto which. Does get serious, but also starts with a whole lot of means. Um, it, it's very disconcerting. The fascism that's just a joke online is fast becoming real fascism. Um, his manifesto was all about the great replacement, which is a right wing conspiracy theory that uh, white people are being bred out of existence and replaced by from, you know foreign countries. Uh, it's led to a immediate call from the uh new zealand prime minister for a change in their gun laws which looks like it will happen very rapidly new zealand actually has extremely lax gun laws considering australia is very tight right next to them um, they do require you get a permit which requires a background check and all that but uh, once you have your permit you can buy as many guns as you want and they don't have to be registered they as long as you have a permit it's cool they don't care what you have, they don't need to know what you have, you can acquire whatever you need, all that jazz. Uh, consider that with how it looks in America, where we never touch our gun laws. And in fact, consider the time after a uh, massacre is somehow not appropriate or we're all too emotional. Uh, the uh, the shooter does mention Trump in his manifesto. Um, he likes him as a symbol of white identity and a resurgence of white power, but uh, says LOL to his policies. Which, wow. I, I, I mean, don't even know what to say there. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I'm at a loss. It's huh. just awful, everything about it. Uh, I guess some of the statistics: more people were killed just Thursday than in the entire year of 2018 in New Zealand. It's just to put that in perspective. That's insane, completely insane. You know, more murder in one day than in an entire year. I, yeah, I don't even know what else to say about it. It's just so horrible. The
0: Australian newspaper posted an edited version of the video that didn't show um, the actual deaths or whatnot. just shows the lead-up to it and him talking in the car or whatnot. He literally gets out of the car, straps up his gun, and says, Subscribe to PewDiePie. Yeah. I. I, everybody who said those meme frogs were harmless is fucking stupid. Uh this is radicalization online happening right under our noses and nobody does a thing about it because you know they're too busy crying about their freeze peaches (laughs) it's this is always a topic that animates me and seeing this laid bare it's just it's ridiculous let's go to slightly happier news JJ you had a story about a worldwide strike for climate by students yeah marginally happier news yeah we're um, all gonna die it's just coming in a while and the kids are gonna try and do something about it yeah well brock the children are our future and our future is now so um you know i guess suck on that old people <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah uh, friday um an estimated 1.4 million um, school kids went out uh, of their schools in 123 countries to protest. Um, You know, it's a thing that has been pushed uh, this most recent year and following into the current year by Greta Thunberg, a Swedish activist... Um, but there was a strike before in uh twenty fifteen that I was looking at it as well. Like this kind of striking from school um movement's been around for a few years, but it's getting you know a lot more attention, of course, due to the, the IPCC report that I keep railing about. Um and screaming from every roof that will have me. Um so, yeah, it's, it's nice to see this happening. Um, but it's still fucked. Like, it's not great. Like It's not like old people are magically changing their mind. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, as a, as a weird reflection of this, I saw in the Seattle Times uh, a couple of days ago, there was some article about what Seattle's going to do because China's not processing or recycling anymore. Uh, and then I saw an ad on the bus, actually, uh, when I was going to work today, uh, telling people in Seattle the appropriate way to recycle. You know, you have got to, like, rinse out the plastic bottles and that kind of a thing. Um, and it's not to say that that isn't good advice, but... It also, points to a cultural construction and kind of how we manage this narrative uh, in this country and in a lot of other countries. Like individual works and individual recycling is not going to save this problem, and it's not actually even nearly the largest contributor. It's still important, and everybody should do it because it's, you know, the right thing to do. Yeah, and every little bit helps. Yeah.
2: It's just it, this isn't going to be the like, lion's
0: share. Yeah, I mean, this is the financial equivalent of being like, save your pennies so you can pay your mortgage. (laughs) Right. Like, well, no, that's not going to fucking do it, buddy. And also, my mortgage is way more than that. Like, yeah, it's, (laughs) it's a matter of scale that just really... obfuscates the the structural and industrial and international scale of this problem and makes it about individual action and so it's important that people are protesting and it's important that people are talking about action and i like that a lot of these protesters are talking about structural action but i'm always worried that you know, those in power and older generations for whom this is not a pressing concern can brush this off as individuals who are passionate and continue to force that disconnect between some sort of large-scale, all-hands-on-deck action and little Joey needs to recycle
1: I just want to know, are you saying that I can't actually pay for my mortgage if I uh, buy a new phone less frequently? (laughs) I I should be able to get health care for the savings on that, right? I,
0: (laughs) you know, uh, there are prominent people on television that have suggested that, Dan. (laughs) I don't think the TV box lies. So, yeah, I think that that probably is not going to work out. I think we have a better uh, option of like chartering a boat to one of the great trash gyres and just making a new phone out of that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. I disagree strongly. It totally works. You just have to uh, start it early enough and early enough is probably a couple hundred years.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, so you're telling me, first, I need to live forever, and second, I need to be purchasing phones, cell phones, before they existed, so, so that I can save yeah, enough right. money to pay a mortgage on a house I can't buy. Starting in 1800, Exactly. <laughs> do, no, do see, the self. trick is, every time you skip buying a phone, you have to put that money into an account with compound interest. And then when you get back to 2019, yes. you're totally set. You can buy that house with cash. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's get to our local stories. I will. I'll start with the one here in Oregon, because, you know, I'm from Oregon. The uh, the recent compromise public lands bill, which is a big deal. Um, it had a lot of stuff in it, including probably, I, I believe, the smallest target of any federal law uh, for miners in Alaska. It was. Of this bill, uh, but the big thing down here in Oregon was we got a new national wilderness, the devil Staircase. It's 30,000 acres uh, in between the Umpqua National Forest and uh, down there in central Oregon. It is the largest of the old growth forests left in Oregon's uh, coastal mountains. This is not a, a 100% off-limits sort of thing, but it does really move the die in in favor of the forest and what we can do with it and whatnot um, also included were the designation of i believe 250 miles 256 miles of oregon riverways uh as national scenic and uh the national wild and scenic river system 256 miles uh, mostly steelhead and salmon habitat that includes parts of the malala elk and Checo rivers This uh, was a big deal for Oregon's delegation. All of our federal office holders voted for it, including the one Republican we have. That one Republican was actually with Trump when he signed it. He was invited to the bill signing ceremony. Uh, This does a lot to protect a species that is well known in Oregon, the spotted owl. This is its primary habitat. The decline in population of the Western Spotted Owl was what caused the federal government to shut down Oregon's timber industry, the effects of which are still felt in the state today. Um, and the federal government still pays money to our southern rural counties uh, to compensate them for basically taking away the only they had.
1: Yeah, I think this is the closest way have to like a real feel-good
0: story. Yeah. How did this even happen? Like, I'm shocked that they signed this. Is there like, is there a rider in this bill where it's like, ha-ha, it's only a national park for like six months and then we get to burn it no, to the ground? No, like it is smaller than they initially planned. Um, and it protects less areas than initially planned, but it was a, a bipartisan deal that's been needed for a while. The last time we had any major reform to the federal lands in the West was in 2006. So it, it's something... Everybody thought needed to have happened, and everybody came together in order to kind of push this through. There's a lot in it about Alaska, too. Um, Native people in Alaska were promised land in addition to uh, the corporations that they got under the Alaskan Native Claims Settlement Act. Mm -hmm. But they had to register for it. Um, This excluded a number of Alaskan natives who were serving in Vietnam, because when all this went down in the 70s, was the Vietnam War? Uh, I, I think it was approximately thirteen hundred of them, twenty-three hundred of them, somewhere in there, one to two thousand or and change. Uh, they have now been granted the land that they would have received back then. The government said, "I'm sorry for it." They also compensate four miners who, as uh, part of the small miners settlement of the bill, I believe is the the section title uh, that had their. Their claim's basically swallowed up by the federal government by accident, and then the federal government lost the paperwork, and they've been suing them for, like, 25 years, and now those 4 miners are made whole again through this bill. There's a lot of stuff in it.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: But seems, yeah, like, not altogether shitty, which is why I'm weirded out. Yeah, no, it really is not like altogether. That, shitty. It sounds like that was reasonable, and then people came together and they made it less awesome than it was at first. But that's about it. Alternate timeline? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's a uh, it, it's a pretty good bill. Um, like I said, they did tone it down marginally, uh, so it's not as awesome as it started at. But it, Do it well, was. the trees have to wear Confederate flags? <laughs> nope. It's got to be something. I'm gonna find it. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way this is actually reasonable. <laughs> I know it's to I just can't handle that. This—that's not our timeline. It's like part of a 900-page bill or something like that. So you might have some reading for yeah, a while. I'm never gonna find the writer with the Confederate flags in the <laughs> no, <gonna> awkward. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, and it also comes on the heels of the bipartisan criminal justice reform that came out. Uh, Congress has been showing this this term a little bit more of an appetite for, for bipartisan action. Not a lot more, mind you, but this is now two big-ticket items they, they've got done on a, a crossbench basis. Who knew? When you have a divided government, sometimes they can still get things done. Damn, i'm Yeah. Damn, unusual indeed. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, our last local story is going to be our Boeing one. Um, Boeing has poured a lot of the future of the company into the 737 MAX. Uh, the 737 family, the airframe, they're the best-selling plane in the history of the world by, like, a lot. Uh 2,000 more than the uh, Airbus A320 which is directly underneath it and uh, 8,000 more than the the third place plane so it, it's not even close uh, you go from 10,000 Boeing 737 sold to 8,000 Airbus A320 sold to like 1,500 747s or something like that It's it's a big drop Um, The 737 MAX is the fastest-selling plane Boeing has ever made. They've got 4,800 orders for them. That is nearly 50% of the total number of 737s Boeing has sold since they introduced the model in the 60s. Uh, They deliver about 45 of those a month. They are now grounded everywhere. Boeing has issued a manufacturer directive grounding the plane. Can't fly with passengers. It can still fly with crew. you might see a few up in the air shuttling around from airport to airport really placed in storage but uh, it is not allowed to fly paying customers in the united states in the eu anywhere Uh, this comes in the heels of two major accidents in less than six months with alarming similarities there was the lion air crash in indonesia and then there was the air ethiopia crash in ethiopia just uh, the other week both of them experienced a very rapid and sudden uh, change in airspeed and uh, climbing, air vertical speed, climbing, sinking, uh, a very pronounced sine wave sort of pattern gradually trailing off below. This is believed to be caused by the MCAS software, which is uh, there to prevent the plane from accidentally getting into a stall. Uh, most of the, the hull losses of the 737 come from issues with stall. Uh, pilots try to climb too high, go too slow, the plane can no longer generate lift with its wings and it drops like a rock straight down. This is very hard to recover from. In fact, sometimes it's impossible to recover from because you need to get air moving over the wings in the right direction again in order to generate that lift. The software, when it detects the plane is entering into some sort of configuration, um, whether climbing too high, which is how it usually happens, or going too slow, whatever. It uh, overrides the pilot's inputs and places its own inputs into the system that are designed to recover the plane from a stall. Notably, it orientates it nose down, and it floors the engine trying to generate some sort of forward speed over the wing to generate lift. Um, It appears that this is the cause. Nothing has been confirmed yet, but that, that sort of oscillating up and down pattern, is consistent with the pilots fighting the sort of automatic overriding input when it's climbing the pilots have control when it goes nose down the computer has control and they fight back and forth for a while gradually getting lower and lower, crashing um uh, the the input impact on boeing which is a very major employer up in seattle i would have said the major employer until amazon started coming around a couple decades but boeing employs a, a great number of people uh, one hundred fifty thousand across the u.s so it's not all up in the seattle area but there is a big chunk and i think it's renton or everett that boeing has their main plant in everett there we
1: go there's one in everett and i think one south of seattle as well yeah yeah the,
0: yeah the big one it's still in seattle i think mm-hmm. so yeah yeah The president made a big show of defending Boeing for a number of days, talking about how he doesn't want planes that Einstein has to fly, which seems to be trashing Boeing. But at the same time, he was really pumping them up. Um, His government put on a big show of support. Uh, Elaine Chao, Mitch McConnell's wife and uh, secretary of transportation, flew on a 737 uh, the day after all this happened in order to kind of reassure everybody The FAA put out a statement that they continued to consider the 737 MAX airworthy. Uh, Within two days that vanished, the FAA yanked uh, all the 737 MAX planes out of the air, and Boeing threw in the towel themselves. Depending on how long this goes for, this might be the end of Boeing. It's hard to really undersell or oversell how much the 737 matters to Boeing. It... uh, it accounts for two thirds of the planes they sell, and that includes like their military planes and what. It is the main source of profit for the company. It is by far their bestseller. Um, if the public doesn't trust seven thirty seven anymore, Boeing's in for some shit. I mean, I don't know if you guys have any comment on that, but I mean, that might be the end of them. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. I feel like it, it's definitely a possibility. I mean, I, I wonder. I mean, uh, you know, it depends on a lot. Like, sometimes companies just make it through these huge kinds of crises and nothing happens and everybody's shocked. And then sometimes it just totally wipes them out. Like, it is a big part of their fleet. So this definitely has, I think, more potential to go bad for them, for sure. Mm-hmm. There is a, a bit of a historical irony um, Boeing's current logo was not always Boeing's logo. It started out as the logo of a, a aerospace company called McDonnell uh, McDonald's. They, they went through some hard times. Um, that all started with the failure of the, uh, the DC-10 in the early 80s. It was introduced in the late 70s. In the early 80s, it goes through a, a record of poor performance. There was a flaw that allowed the... Cargo bay door to appear shut and latched when it really wasn't a cargo bay door would fly off during flight Rapidly depressurize the cargo hold that would collapse the uh, the passenger compartment the floor of that all the passengers would fall into the uh, The cargo area and it would sever the aeronautical controls that were running through the plane from the pilot to all the the Aerodynamic surfaces in the back that they have to adjust and whatnot. Uh, It caused a complete loss of several planes Uh, The DC-10 was eventually re-entered service, but it lost its its type certificate its airworthiness uh, airworthiness certificate for a while Uh, Pilots universally love the the redesigned DC-10. It's considered one of the greatest planes has ever flown People speak of it extremely highly in the space industry, but the public never trusted the plane again uh McDonnell douglas sold 300 of them that was it and that's all they got out the door uh it's still flying today in service with um cargo carriers like fedex and ups and what but uh it, it basically killed off the company uh and then they ran into some problems with their military contracts dick cheney canceled the product they're working on and then screwed them out of the money and Anyway, the government had to broker a merger between them and Boeing, uh, largely because of the failure of the DC-10. Uh, and that's where Boeing picked up its card logo. So if the same thing happens to them, there is quite a bit of irony in that. Man, I mean, their stock price is still doing all right. It took a huge, it took a pretty big hit. Yeah, it was down over 10%. Uh, for a while. Yeah, it's been like 50 bucks, but it's already on its way back up. I mean, it's only been a day that it's been going up, but it's still, I mean, looking at the long timeline, it's still so much further up. They took a huge move up in 2016 to 2018, where they really skyrocketed. So they've got a long way to follow before they're at levels they were at, say, even know three years ago that giant growth was largely fueled by those 4800 orders for the Boeing 737 max so, well, shit. Well, uh, then, that's a bit of a problem, then. I mean that's, fair. that's as of now case. those orders have not been cancelled Boeing is in fact still making the plane uh, they're they're not putting a hold on production they think they'll get this fixed soon enough uh, they have a, a software patch yeah I was gonna say like theoretically the, the patch the update will fix it yeah um, there's, there's a lot of variables, but if they do get these things flying again and everything looks okay, they won't lose any of those orders. But the longer these planes act to sit on the ground, the more likely those, those orders just get canceled. Yeah. And that's true. And that would be a really precipitous, like really major drop. Yeah. Plus if public perception of this plane is that it's not safe, some of those orders might be canceled anyway. What airline wants to be flying a plane that the public doesn't want to fly on? That's just, that's a, that's a business like half where image of airlines, matters a lot. I mean, airlines are not popular right now, bro. I don't think most airlines polled probably have a majority of riders being like, I love flying Delta. I love <laughs> flying Southwest. That's true. But that's a far cry from sticking them in what the, the customer considers a death machine. Whether it's more than that. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just think them as inconvenience and stress minds. I'm like,
2: misery. Yeah, you're in trouble when customers start asking, what kind of plane is it? And then changing their tickets yeah. accordingly. Yeah, that's fair.
0: The, uh, the 737 kind of has a special place in my heart uh, because those were the planes that uh, Alaska Airlines flew out of Gino all the time. So when I was in high school, whenever we'd go in, whatnot. And they even had the Combi ones that were half a passenger seven hundred and thirty-seven and half the cargo configuration, 737. You guys remember those? Oh yeah. Yeah, I do. Like the really, really small, the yeah, small, the, yeah, the, the shitty seating plans on the way to Seattle. Yeah, they, they cut it off in the middle, so you only had like half the rows or whatnot, and just, it was like the front half or the back half or something was just one giant cargo hole. Yeah, for like the mail run, pretty yeah. much. For the express mail. The, uh, the 737 is just a fantastic aircraft. Um, it was made to be lower down to the ground and more easily serviceable than Boeing's larger jets. So that it could use, you know, worse airports. Uh, in fact, early models were even able to be fitted with a gravel kit, uh, which means they could take off from unimproved runways, you know, just rocks. You had a, a gravel runway, you could take off a passenger plane from it like this. Uh, it's, yeah, it, it's probably the most famous plane in the world so this is a big deal and boeing's a big employer in the area Uh, i mean solid props because any plane that can land uh at sitka or ketchikan's airports i mean not to say that juno is easy either because juno is also just a terrible airport to fly into from what i hear you have to Mm. climb like immediately or you run into some mountains juno's airport is just badly laid out well and then simultaneously, there's a cross draft that comes from the ice fields from the east, you know, over Mount Juno and Roberts and Thunder Mountain, and a similar cross draft coming from the ocean over Douglas. So, and I've, I've heard that described by pilots as well. So, yeah, you have to do this really steep takeoff and then battle winds fighting at the point in which you're taking off or landing. And was just totally screwed. On time. right or you know then like the sitka airstrip which seems like half of a reasonable airstrip whenever oh though it is really great to land in there because it always looks like you're going to crash in the ocean <laughs> every time and then suddenly you like you just see water 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 and then you touch pavement and you're like oh my god we didn't die oh. you remember when ketchikan's airport became like a presidential debate topic uh-huh uh, the oh, Bridge man. to Nowhere. Bridge right. to Nowhere.
1: Yeah. gravina
0: <laughs> Island. Yep. All right. Yeah, dude, it's because that ferry sucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a good week, guys. Thanks for joining me.
1: Take care. All right. Bye. Alright.